Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Trend Micro. At CDW, we get that patch-together security can leave gaps in protection. I patch things together all the time, like this broken desk chair. Some duct tape, good as new. Orchestrated by CDW, Trend Micro Cloud One provides unified protection and better visibility across cloud services. It's all-in-one cloud security that can hold its own. Okay. Want to buy some gently used office furniture? No, thanks. IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash trendmicro. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hey, science fans. One thing we don't get to talk about enough on this show is environmental concerns, ecology, resources, that sort of thing. I wish we, we had more on, on this topic on the show. Fortunately, I found a new podcast that I believe you guys will enjoy called Waterline. Waterline podcast is everything related to water, how to make sustainable irrigation, can water bring peace, how do you uh, keep water clean and, and safe, and how much money does does our current water system cost in the U.S., what changes can we make and how we use water. I just listened to a fantastic episode called Water in Peace, Hydropolitics. It was all about um, the many different conflicts over different regions of water. We've drawn all of these arbitrary lines for our kind of political regions. And one thing that we didn't really factor in when doing that was water sources. So now there's all of these uncomfortable, to say the least, conflicts uh, where all of these areas overlap over water sources. Fantastic episode. The Waterline Podcast is an initiative of Israel New Tech, a part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and industry so check it out for everything you need to know about the economics political social behavioral technological and environmental aspects of water search for waterline podcast on itunes or in your android podcast app hey guys i have a big uh, road tour coming up that i thought i'd tell you about really quickly if you could just go to shanemoss.com and check out my schedule And you can see all the dates. I'll be adding a lot more soon, um, especially around these areas. Um, So I'm I'm doing uh, I'm doing Denver, Iowa City, uh, Rochester, Minnesota, um, Milwaukee. I have Grand Rapids coming up. I'm in Wichita, um, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Little Rock, Arkansas. Dallas, Texas. I'm doing three three weeks around the Dallas area. I'm doing Fort Worth as well in Plano, Texas, and um, Scranton, Pennsylvania. And I have a whole bunch of other stuff coming up um, that I'll be I'll be filling in and telling you about later. But I just wanted to uh, quick plug my club dates because that is what pays for this show. Um, all right, and enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We 
are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are hello everybody and welcome to the here we are program today i am here in knoxville and i'm talking with Jeff Larson, who is the Associate Professor of Psychology at the uh, University of Tennessee, and he uh, he does a lot of work with emotions. And Jeff and I actually met, I, I, guess I didn't even realize when your your picture on your um, on your website is uh, is looks a little different than you. And, uh, and so I didn't recognize you because we met like three years ago. Right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, New yeah. Orleans? Yeah, that's right. Just well, about exactly. What was the name years, of that um, conference or whatever? Or some sort uh, of... uh, well, the real conference or the fake one that we do? Um, so so, so the, the real conference is Society for Personality and Social Psychology. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we do the poker pre conference yeah, every yeah, year. Yeah. I think <laughs> we're heading into our, uh, our 12th year this year. Yeah, I played a little poker. I, I got to lose money to uh, a bunch of academics, um, and uh, I, I am I'm the worst at poker. I, I like uh, I'm I'm more into blackjack, um, stuff like that. But you actually you've actually done a lot of work with uh, with gambling, in a sense, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, right with some of the some of your mixed emotion mm-hmm. work. Right. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I mean, when it comes to eliciting emotion, uh, you know, money's a good way to do it. Uh, so you, you give people money, it makes them happy. You take <laughs> money away from people, it makes them disappointed. So, uh, so uh, I think if you look at a lot of research, uh, they use money to elicit emotions. And, you know, gambles are good, right, because you don't know what's going to happen. And so uncertainty is another, uh, you know, good source of, of emotion. Um, you know, you get your paycheck every month if you're on salary. Uh, you know, it's kind of nice to see, but it's, it's not a big deal. Um, but when you get some unexpected amount of money or an unexpected loss of money, well, then that, now that's going to be a case uh, for, uh, you know, when you might experience some emotion. Yeah, I have, uh, I get royalty checks once in a while that I just, it, it, I never expect them ever, and, and then they show up, and they're this amazing bonus, and and then, um, but but uh, and, and then I'll I'll get some sort of fine because I forgot to pay a parking ticket that I forgot all about. Uh, but that you know that's interesting, and actually now that I'm now that I'm thinking about that specifically, um, some some months my royalties checks are bigger than others, mm-hmm. and and so I have that that big number <laughs> in my head uh, that, that, you know, I'm really looking forward to. So when I, when I get the email about it, I'm like, Ooh, I have that high number yeah. in my head. And it's, it's rarely the highest number, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's usually a, a, a more moderate number, but, uh, but I definitely feel a little bit uh, a bittersweet yeah. uh, about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, you, you know, uh, so Pete McGraw and I, when we were in graduate school at Ohio State, which uh, by the way, Peter's been on the show two times. Right. So for new listeners, yeah. Uh, so when we were in graduate school at Ohio State, we were actually roommates, 
Um, and, uh, which was a good thing because, I mean, it, it was, you know, the, the research I'm doing now. Was he, was he just, uh, <laughs> on a personal note, uh-huh. he's kind of an anal guy. He was kind of like a, a neat freak. Kind of. Was, was <laughs> no, he, was it's all a like lie. That? Don't let the sweater vest fool you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, 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 actually, um. I'm wondering how far uh, back this goes. Well, I'm trying to think. He's a good friend of mine, so I want to, uh, I want to. I'm hoping for a few things I can give him a hard time. Yeah, about. I, don't, I don't know. I know that we had there were three of us in the house, and and um, you know I think Pete and I, you know, we were on the more cleanly side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think when it came to our third roommate, who uh, you know wasn't as big a fan of doing the dishes, I think I was actually the one who dropped the hammer there. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think he actually remembers that it was Pete who dropped the hammer rather than me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, um, oh, so, funny. but yeah, so, no, I so think your Pete, early work. Pete has always been, yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, anal, I think is a good word. Um, <laughs> but so, so one of the things that we did is, is, you know, so, uh, my advisor had a theory about ambivalence and, 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 and feeling both positive and negative at the same time. And his advisor, uh, had a theory about our emotional reactions to good and bad events. And, uh, and so we thought it'd be fun uh, if we could uh, put the two theories together in some way. Um, and so this, this theory uh, of his advisors, Barb Mellers, is called decision affect theory. And the, the idea is very simple, that um, when good things happen, we feel good. Nice and straightforward. Um, but when we expect good things to happen and they don't, then we feel bad. Um, and so Pete and I said, well, what if, what if you, you know, expect something really good to happen? So you expect that royalty check to be really big this year, yeah. this month. Um, and then it comes in and actually there's, you know, it's missing one of the zeros at the right. end that you expected it to. Um, so, so, uh, we called this a disappointing win and we thought, you know, what, what are the, what are the emotional reactions to it going to be? Um, and as it turned out, there are other people like Danny Kahneman, uh, who uh, wouldn't it be great if you could interview him someday. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, uh, Danny Kahneman had, had wondered about emotional reactions to that. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he said, you know, maybe maybe you feel mixed emotions about it. Um, or maybe you just go back and forth really quickly vacillating between these positive and negative emotions. Yeah, I mean, I, I know... Um I don't gamble a lot, but when I when I do end up at a casino, you're gonna have a hard time getting me away from the table. I do have yeah. a, I do have an addictive personality once I'm actually in oh, a situation, yeah. so I stay away from it for the most part. But blackjack specifically, yeah. it'll be like, um, you, you know, I'll 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 hit a nine or something yeah. like that and yeah. and get a ten and and end up winning and. And and e- even though that's a very reasonable play, I'll still be like, oh, but I could have doubled down, yeah. and then I would have got double the win on it. Right, right. Yeah, it is. It is amazing to see the irrational behavior that people engage in at a, at a poker table or a blackjack table. Um, I mean, you, you, this is probably something you've observed at blackjack, right? Yeah. Um, 
It was. I, uh, I, I like my one of my favorite things is people will get mad at someone yeah. else at the table yeah. for messing up the shoe or whatever because yeah. they yeah. hit something that they don't agree with them hitting right. or whatever. Right. Like, and like that the, ruined like the, their magic. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like the universe cares so much <laughs> that you know this deck of cards is, yeah. is like the universe is just just just. It, has this control over this deck of cards. I, I, I like that, that all of God's work was just <laughs> laying out this Yeah, so that that perfect. jack of hearts would be right there, and it's got your name on it. And then, then some heathen yeah. had to go and monkey, yeah. <laughs> monkey yeah. around with it. Um, you know, I think, I, I'm, I'm not sure if this is true, but I think that uh, uh, initial work on the illusion of control, um, uh, gosh, was it Ellen Longer or... Uh, maybe someone else, but, but there, there was actually, it was her sitting around and seeing people, uh, uh, have these ideas at, at a blackjack table, mm. these strange ideas, uh, and, and this, this illusion that we have of controlling uh, events. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, it's a, it's a bit off topic, but I, I often, you know, when, when there's like tragedies or, you know, there's talk about gun control and a lot of times people mm. will have, I have seen it phrased as like this just world hypothesis mm-hmm. and they'll kind of blame the victims and be like, well, if they would have had guns to protect mm-hmm. themselves, but it's this interesting psychological mechanism to be like, well, because I'm doing things yeah. quote unquote correctly, bad things aren't going to happen to me. Right. And so when it happened to someone else, they yeah. must have, they must have done something wrong yeah. to deserve that because yeah. otherwise that could happen to me. Right. If it can happen to anybody. Yeah. I mean, I experience this all the time when I, uh, you know, driving on the freeway or whatever and seeing an, an accident. Mm. My first thought is always, Oh, that person must have done something <laughs> yeah, stupid. Yeah. Um, well, you're texting. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you won't believe what I just saw. I saw here. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so it is, and it, you know, there's this um, uh, recent finding about uh, a belief in climate change, and if you give people, uh, if you give people um, that this, this message, you haven't watched this commercial about how the children of tomorrow are going to suffer. Um, well, this violates the belief in a just world, right? These are just kids. Mm. They, 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 they haven't done anything wrong. So, therefore, they cannot experience misfortune. Uh, and so, therefore, global warming must not be happening. Uh, and, and so, so this mm. was, this is, uh, uh, you know, one of these, these classic backfires. Uh, that, that, that can uh, occur when you're trying to change people's minds um, because of the cognitive gymnastics that we all, right. these cognitive hoops that we all jump through in order to, you know, in order keep to survive. Keep on going. In order to keep on going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, we, we do tell ourselves all sorts of stories. I mean, otherwise you would never sit down at a blackjack table. No, or you wouldn't. Or I mean, you would never get out of bed, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's quite true. Yeah. Um, so, so when do you, um, so, so you kind of studied some of this bittersweet stuff with as, as far as gambling, but, um, were there kind of other domains, um, that, that you, you've noticed yeah. people experiencing this yeah. or that you've possibly tested? Yeah. Well, I think, um, uh, yeah, so this would have been just a, a few months before we were having that conversation, before Pete and I were having that conversation in which we came up with this idea of disappointing wins. 
um, is that uh, so so uh, my girlfriend Aaron, uh, you know, now my wife, um, we happened to go see a movie, um, and uh, and it was a movie called Life Is Beautiful. Um, and, uh, so this would have been, I don't know, 1998, 1999. And, um, you know, the movie, uh, what you knew about the movie going in was that it was about, you know, this, uh, it was Italian, it was family in a concentration camp. And so I'm watching the movie for the first half hour or so, and I'm like, what? Wait, I, I get it. It's Italian, right? Because uh, uh, it's in subtitles and, and you know, it sounds like Italian. So I got that. But there's no concentration camp. This is just a comedy. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, it was, it was, it was very funny comedy. But, but then all of a sudden the, the family gets arrest, arrested and, you know, taken to a concentration camp. And so from then on, it is just, it is a classic tragic comedy mm-hmm. where, uh, so there's this dad, um, who is trying to keep his, you know, probably like a seven year old son, you know, alive in this concentration camp. And he wants him to think that it's, that it's just a big game. Uh, so, so there's just all this, this comedy in there. Um, but you know, just this backdrop of, of just, of just, just tragedy. Right. So, um, so we happened to see this movie. Um, uh, it seems like within a couple of weeks of me reading, uh, this paper, um, uh, by a guy named Jim Russell about, uh, happiness and sadness are by virtue of being these polar opposite emotions, right? And you think about, it, you know, think about the face of happiness versus the face of sadness. They're just complete opposites, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by virtue of these two emotions being polar opposites, uh, we cannot experience them at the same time. Um, and, and this is a, this is a, this is a. Uh, a, a very provocative idea, um, because you know, rarely in psychology do people say this can never occur. Um, usually what we do is we say, well, this phenomenon is going to be more likely to occur in some situations than in others. Um, this, so this was a very bold idea that we simply cannot feel happy and sad at the same time. This idea that there are certain emotions that we just cannot experience at the same time. Hmm. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's a pretty interesting hypothesis. Yeah, uh, like I'm trying to think of other things like uh, uh, something being um, appetizing, for, for lack of a better word. Uh, uh, and in contrast, having some sort of disgust. Yeah. Uh, have you ever um, have you ever been upset? Like at a, at a, you're sitting down. Uh, you know, I remember with my ex, we'd be. You know, we'd go to this nice restaurant and then we'd start bickering about some sort of thing. And yeah. as that's happening, I'm just yeah. losing my appetite more, even though this is this yeah. amazing food that yeah, I'm so yeah, excited completely about. Completely innocent food is now being yeah. contaminated uh, by this uh, by this disgust that you're experiencing, or not maybe not disgust, but but that negative. But negative but they emotion. are kind of. I mean, these are different regions of the brain, right? That are kind of controlling these different. Oh gosh, yeah, you're gonna have to talk to somebody <laughs> yeah. else about the brain. <laughs> I mean, fine. but it is pretty clear um, that you know. So, so when we're having some emotional reaction, we make some attribution. We explain to ourselves. But one of these stories that we tell is, "Why am I feeling this way?" Right. Mm. Uh, so this is something that you know psychologists have, have struggled with for a, a long time. You know, William James and his bear. 
uh, where, you know, for William James, the idea is that, is that you see this bear and then you're running away. Yeah, and you're not even aware of this experience oh, yeah. of fear until later, right? Right. Um, and that's when you make this 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 explanation. Um, and you know, I, I've experienced this as well. Like when you're you you almost get in a car accident, and you, without even thinking, you know, because you have to do it in like 134 milliseconds, you make the right decision and you avoid the car accident, right? Mm. And then uh, it's only a second later that all of a sudden you feel this fear. Right, um, but you know, it, 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 most of the time that isn't the way it works. Right, most of the time uh, something happens, we experience the emotion pretty quickly. Um, but then we do have to ask ourselves, why am I feeling this way? And, and so there's that attribution that goes on. And sometimes we make misattributions. Mm. Uh, sometimes we say, you know what, I I I'm not liking this food, and it's because you know this argument that I'm having. And what's remarkable is that you know you're wrong. Right, you know that this that this is complete. This this food is completely innocent of all right. charges, but you just can't you know yeah. shake it. Right, so that's one thing to you know. So I think we know often that we have the wrong emotional reactions, but we can't do anything about it. Yeah, I've I, I've always liked. Uh, I think um, I, I think Kahneman did some stuff too with uh, kind of the different feedback loops and. Or, or how how they'll have uh, telemarketers? They'll put a mirror in the booth or whatever, and then tell them to smile. And uh-huh. and the act of yeah. of someone watching themselves smile yeah. will then trigger them to yeah. be like a part of the brain's like. Well, I guess yeah. I'm happy. Why yeah. would I be smiling? If yeah. I'm not, even though you're stuck in this, you know, job that you probably don't care for. Very yeah. Much. Right. Right. Um, and 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 like the the pencil. Mm-hmm. Uh, test of, of of making someone smile and they rate their lives as being more pleasant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like often. I mean, maybe maybe my life isn't um, isn't as like dramatic. Uh, you know, maybe it's because I don't have as many bears in my life or whatever <laughs> that I'm running from. But but it seems like oftentimes the emotion come like mm-hmm. I'll be antsy or mm. get nervous about some upcoming thing and then yeah. i start taking actions right. after that yeah well i mean having seen your show last night i think uh, there's all sorts of interesting events that happen in your life <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, jeff came to watch me do um my psychedelic show yeah. in in uh, in knoxville yeah. and uh it's always i was always a little bit before i was i wasn't going to do it for like another couple of years but i was always like oh there's such a stigma I was like, oh, I was, I was a, bit, a bit of a closeted yeah. uh, person, but now you know, yeah. and here you are talking with me anyway. Yeah, yeah plenty, plenty of material. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, back to, um, I, I, had, right. I had a thought about um, these kind of bittersweet moments, and ha- have you done any, any work with, um, with celebrating, um, like, certain life events well i'll just give like a a couple quick examples one that i already mentioned on on the june gruber uh podcast was my my dream before i ever started stand-up was to have a half hour comedy central special that's all that i wanted in life and uh, if i got that i was going to be happy and then i got it and i remember that night i was just like oh it was was like this very bittersweet um kind of feeling and that's still that's happened every single time I made my 
uh, last album in in May, My Big Break, which, by the way, listeners, is available on iTunes <laughs> and Spotify. Anyhow, it was it's it's um it's, you know some of my work I'm more or less proud of and and whatnot, and that's something I'm really proud of. I was super happy with it, but even mm-hmm. then, yeah. it, it was like when I was finished with it or when it came out. Uh, there's a couple factors, I think. One, when I, you finish a big project like that, then I'm like, oh, I have to write a new act. What What is the next act going to be about? You know, mm-hmm. if it's going to be about psychedelics, are people going to judge me or whatever? Right. And then the um, and then the other aspect is 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 that no matter what happens, it, it comes out and you. No matter how well it does, and it did pretty well, you always have this idea of like, but it right. could have gotten so many other downloads right. had maybe I gotten on this, you know, right. late night show or this and that, you know. Yeah. yeah, I think so. So you're touching on the fact that we live in neither the best nor the worst of all possible worlds, right? Mm. So we can always compare where how the world is with these other worlds that, uh, you know, are in our minds, Mm. Um, which is, so it's sort of the double-edged sword of this, you know, amazing mind that we have, right? Um, This, this, uh, we we can develop these rich worlds um, and, uh, you know, if we, if we invent in our minds this really amazing place, well, one cool thing about it is that then we can then take steps to, to make that a reality, Right. Um, right. But if we end up comparing that world with the way the current world is, uh, then we're going to be disappointed. Um, which again gets back to Barb Mahler's idea about uh, you know our uh, satisfaction being influenced by uh, you know comparisons. So um, are we are we just bottomless pits of want <laughs> like that alone? Yeah. Upper? Well, um, you know, so so the so satisfaction. Uh, comes not so much from achieving a goal as from making headway toward a goal. Yeah. Um, There's this idea that, uh, you know, if if you take this, uh, you know, organism that's going to do well, you know, some evolutionarily adaptive organism, you want this organism to uh, uh, to be satisfied when it's making progress but not when it's fulfilled the goal because uh, you, you fulfill you the goal and then next thing you know, you know, you spend the next, you know, three decades of your life going to deadhead, you know, Grateful Dead shows yeah, and yeah. not really getting you anything else done. Yeah, right. Recliner. Yeah, spend decades kicking your feet up. That's not really going to, you know, that's, that's like, a, that's like your ticket right. out of the gene pool, really. Right, right, right. So. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so you know, your, your, your mixed emotions to finishing up a project, uh, there are all these different sources. Right? Yeah. You're no longer making progress toward a goal. Uh, and, you know, and that comparison with, oh, it did well, but it could have done even better. So, Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because on a, on a small, on a big level, that's a, like a hundred percent that rings absolutely true. But sometimes on a day-to-day, what I often find is that like get it yeah i'm i'm a type of person that has a real hard time getting out of bed and like yeah. but i i um i joke sometimes that i um like i'll sometimes wake up from a nightmare 
you know, where where I'm being attacked or being chased by police or whatever crazy, you know, horrifying situation. I wake up like, whew, yeah. oh, okay, I'm not getting yeah. chased by that demon or whatever. And then, and then, uh, you know, my eyes adjust and I'm like, ah, oh, life. And then I'll like go back to sleep and uh, like back to that nightmare. You, like, you want oh, that nightmare I'll, again? I'll take my chances. <laughs> All right. With yeah. the demons. All right. So, so I think, you know, you know, personality comes into play. Here, right? <laughs> right. You know, right. so, so if you're high in sensation seeking, you're like bring on that, 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 that nightmare again. Right. Um, so, you know, an attitudes towards emotion. Some people, you know, it's like, Hey, here, this thing's disgusting. You got to smell this. <laughs> right. And I'm like, that's you're funny. probably like, yeah, I do. Whereas yeah. I'm like, no, 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 I don't. Uh, that's funny. Uh, so. I like the test where if you just stick people in a room with a thing, you will be like, if you touch that, it'll shock you. <laughs> And then, and then after a while, people are just gonna be like, ah, "I'm gonna touch it." <laughs> They'll just start touching. You got a lot yeah. of people just can't be left alone. With- yeah, I don't know. I think I wonder. I'm guessing that you, I would probably hold out longer than you would. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, so one you of the would. things that uh, uh, we're doing in the lab is uh, showing people disgusting films. So you ever seen Train Spotting? Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. love that movie. So yeah, you know, the toilet scene. Yeah, yeah, the first scene with the that toilet. That is revolting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's revolting, but, uh, you know, it's also amusing, right? Yeah, right. Um, but so... It is amusing. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so uh, you know, the benign violation hypothesis speaks to that. See, now that you bring that up, benign violation for the listeners is the work that uh, that Peter McGraw did. You can go back and listen to that for further explanation. But um, did, was it Pete or someone else? I think Pete did this in his Hurl lab or whatever, <laughs> his uh, humor research lab. He, I think he did fart spray or something like that in a room. I could imagine that. And it that. Like made comedies funnier to people yeah, if you that, put fart spray yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's, uh, you know, my, my, I am so averse to disgust that yeah. I don't even, I, I don't even, I wish they had like some sterile name for that, like, you know, flatulence odorant or something. Right, um, right. But, uh, I, I don't know if Pete has, but I know that there was, there was other work that has used that as, as, as a, a variable. You either put people in a room with this or not. Mm. Uh, and uh, so, so yeah, it's a it's a good way to elicit, uh, you know, disgust. Um, why is it? Uh, yeah, okay. So that's just a benign violation, that, yeah, and that's well, why it's funny because it's like, why is it? Well, it funny? it depends, right? I mean, that that it it, it depends on the context, right? If. Um, you know, you're in a room with a few people and you smell it. I guess you're looking around and you say, all right, you know, uh, someone it, dealt it, right? Yeah. Um, Whereas if you're in grade school and someone's holding you down and farting in your face, that's, yeah, that's not yeah. as funny to you. Maybe, yeah, right. maybe his friend's watching you. But yeah, yeah. So, you know. In, it's in, context in, dependent. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so and that, that's going to influence whether it's benign mm. or not. Um, it's a violation one way or the other. You know, we're supposed to be human beings. We're not animals. We don't, uh, you know, we're, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. And, of course, you know, human beings, of course, you know, we created God in our own image, right? Right. Uh, and uh, so, so, so. It's, Does God poop? 
Does Jesus poop in the mind's eye? I want to. I want to talk about that. We're going to get off track, but I, I do want to talk about that later on. Oh, oh no! Okay, um, not, not that. You, you know what? I, yeah, yeah, uh, Jesus yeah, in the mind's no, eye. No not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll get to it. Right. Um, and uh, but uh, back to so. Yeah. Oh yeah. So so yeah. You wanted to know about uh, 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 whether I've looked at these you know emotional reactions to to uh, some big accomplishment, right? I think. Yeah. 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 So so you've met some goals. So um, so when we were studying the, the mixed emotions, uh, the first t- time we did the study was was after this movie. Uh, where, um, we, so, so I came out of this film, uh, feeling happy and sad at the same time. Um, and, oh, and also when I'd read that paper about people, people can't feel happy and sad at the same time, um, my advisor, John Cassiopo, had this model that suggested you could, uh, feel happy and sad at the same time. The idea here is that positivity and negativity, uh, positive feelings, negative feelings, um, they aren't necessarily at opposite ends of a bipolar continuum. Rather, you can there might be the space, this two-dimensional space in which we can experience the two. So let me ask. So yeah. from from this from their view, then yeah, it, that that it's you can't experience this at the same time. So right. if you go to a funeral and someone yeah. gives like a funny. Uh, eulogy, like, yeah. oh, I remember old Bill always was playing with frogs when he's, or, you know, whatever, and people, and people start laughing. And then, but it's also obviously set. So in, in that view, are they yeah. just saying that they're oscillating like back and forth? Then? Yeah, yeah, that, okay. that would be, that would be one approach. Uh, maybe they're oscillating. Maybe they are, um, canceling each other out in some way. Uh, makes perfect sense, and, and it's parsimonious, right? A, 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 an important part of science is parsimony. We don't, uh, and the idea that we can feel one emotion at a time rather than two emotions at a time is more parsimonious. Um, so uh, we should hold on to that parsimonious idea if the data allow us to, yeah. right? Um, so I, I've, when I finished reading this paper, I, you know, I, I was shaking my puny fist because. I, I didn't, you know, in, in my uh, the, my own theoretical framework suggested that you could feel happy and sad at the same time, mm. but they had the data. Uh, they right. had some initial data that, you know, sure enough, people rarely report feeling both happy and sad at the same time. So, you know, data wins. Um, but, and, and then I didn't think much more of it until a couple of weeks later when I came out of this movie and I was feeling happy and sad at the same time. Um, and so, you know, I was telling Pete about it the next day and he said, well, you know, we, we should get in there and collect some data. Uh, and, um, and so, you know, to see what real people think, you know, cause by that point I'd been sort of dissecting my own emotions enough that I couldn't, you know, my introspections aren't going to generalize to anybody. Uh, so, 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 you know, that's what we did and that's how things got started. And then, uh, you know, so, so what we found and what we found is that after the film, like half of people reported feeling both happy and sad at the same time before the film, it was like 10%, something like this. Uh, and so, so, you know, this is just a movie, right? What about real life events? Are there real life events where people, uh, report or you know seem to be experiencing mixed emotions, and uh, so the next study we did was a move out day study uh, at Ohio State, where um, I had an RA who uh, was also uh, you know worked in the in the dorms, 
uh, you know, I guess, residential advisor. So I, I had a research assistant who was also a residential advisor. And so we were able to arrange for freshmen to uh, get a questionnaire about how they were feeling the moment they turned in the key to the dorm mm. after the, the school year. And That's a great thing to test. I, I, I remember every time I've moved, I've had very mixed emotions. Yeah. You know, I'm from Wisconsin originally, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I spent my first 23 years of my life there. And I remember I just could not wait to leave, um, kind of consciously. But then when yeah. it came time to do it, and you know, saying goodbye to people and everything was yeah. there was definitely mixed emotions. Right. Uh, and, um, and, uh, so, so yeah, sure enough, uh, uh, these, uh, the kids who were moving out, uh, they were more likely to report these mixed emotions than were, uh, students who, you know, just a typical day on campus. Um, so, so that told us about one transition, right? Uh, going from end of your, uh, first year of college off to, you know, summer break. And, you know, it's this, it's this collision of all sorts of different events right you're finished with finals that's awesome uh you uh you got to say goodbye to your friends that's awesome you get to go back to your friends from high school that's great but then you might also have to go back live at home for a while and you don't want to do that so there's just all this stuff going on um and then uh a year or so later we did a study at university of chicago where on graduation day uh, we we asked people how they were feeling, um, and so another one of these transitions, uh, and and what we found is that also there people reported more mixed emotions. And the University of Chicago uh, graduates also uh, reported feeling bittersweet, and mm-hmm. when we asked them, they, they felt bittersweet. Um, whereas Ohio State freshmen, uh, when they turned in the keys to their dorms, they did not report feeling more bittersweet. Um, so it turns out that what's going on there is. Ohio State freshmen just don't know what the word means, uh, <laughs> so that that was uh, that was kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but then um, uh, a guy, uh, 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 Hal Ersner Hirschfield, um, he was a, San- a graduate student at Stanford at the time. Um, uh, he was really interested in the in, in in whether it's this this idea of of experiencing a meaningful ending that leads to mixed emotions. Um, you know, because I, I think really what Pete and I had done is sort of we did these two studies suggesting that meaningful endings are important, but we we weren't actually interested in what what events in particular elicit mixed emotions. We were just interested in whether anything can, because that was this theoretical debate that we were, you know, involved in. Uh, so Howell said, you know what, these, these two situations are both meaningful endings. Maybe there's something systematic about that. And so he did something really cool where on uh, graduation day at uh, Stanford, um, half of the participants, uh, he, he, he handed out his surveys, uh, do you feel happy, do you feel sad, and the rest, um, uh, on graduation day. For half of the participants, he also mentioned, he said, uh, you know, and this is your last day here at Stanford as an undergraduate. Um, and those students who he gave that prompt, they reported more mixed emotions than per- people who didn't get that prompt. So, so the, the, the meaningful ending and the poignancy that comes from that uh, mm. seems to be an, uh, an important 
Yeah, because I was I was going to say when I was talking earlier on on how you know just a day to day level it's yeah. it's a slightly different so on a day to day level so I'm going to sit and write jokes or whatever something like that or or maybe send out emails for work or something so usually having to do something feels the worst I'm like oh, i have to do so then when i get going on it i enjoy that especially if i'm writing i i'm i'm enjoying when i'm actually doing the task for the most part and then afterwards um when i've accomplished that or finished that or whatever that feels the best but that's on like a day-to-day level mm-hmm. but definitely on these bigger yeah. on these bigger levels it's uh it's it's quite a bit different where um, where the end of yeah. it doesn't is far more mixed emotions. Yeah, because you, you got to come up with that new goal, a new big goal, right? right. Day to day level, you finish your nine o'clock thing, and now it's time for your ten o'clock thing. Well, you already have a pretty good idea what that ten o'clock thing is going to be. It doesn't take that much inertia that you had over time right. to start on it. But yeah, you you graduate from college. You know, what's that next big thing? Right. Uh, you know, it's going to take a bit longer to figure out what it is and how to go about making progress toward it. Um, you also did some uh, some work with uh, emotion, uh, music eliciting emotions mm-hmm. and, um, and why. Uh, it, it, you, you might enjoy this. Um, so one of the things that I often like to do or... Uh, often like to do at my old place when I'd have company and have, you know, a big screen TV and in the uh, living room and I'd put on like planet earth or something like that, some animal footage, but I would put, I would mute it and have the music going through it being from Pandora or whatever. And I wouldn't tell people, it's just like background. So you'd have music and then it was basically the TV was just on mute, but People would often perceive it as being this video that was they thought the music went with. They always thought the music matched well with. You can you can just put. <laughs> I don't know why they pay to put a soundtrack huh. on any Animal Planet stuff because you can put anything and people will be like, "But it syncs so perfectly." They'll huh. like argue with you. Yeah, and I'll be like, "No, it's that's just Pandora. That's just huh. completely random." But what was really interesting is. Um, is if I didn't tell people, and you know, someone tell them unless they they asked, like what is this or whatever, people people would often perceive what was going on um, in these animals' lives. The way that they anthropomorphize yeah. would change depending on the tone of yeah. the song. So so if it was like a really laid back song, people yeah. people would often be like. Oh man, these animals sure got it good, don't yeah. they? Look at them, just like out this, in the free range. Yeah, the, the, the gazelles are playing with the cheetahs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then, and then you know, it's like some kind of darker, or maybe Pink Floyd song or something like yeah. that. And all of a sudden, people are like, "Oh my God, are they ever going to make it? Is yeah. there any hope for life yeah. for any of us?" And it was so interesting. I mean, this happened. Many, many times with many different. I, I you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not running very strict scientific studies, right. but, but definitely over and over again, and uh, high, high predictive value, and right. uh, and and repeated many times, and and it was just so interesting to right. me that 
that people huh. a, a musical song could change the whole way in which people would perceive not only the lives uh, of these animals, but then what it meant about life and yeah. in general. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's back to the, the the storytelling that we all engage in, right? right. We, we we just sort of we we expect the world to be this simple, orderly place. Uh, and when there's any ambiguity, uh, we just resolve it in our minds in such a way that everything makes sense, even when it's completely arbitrary. You know, that you're randomly assigning right. uh, the uh, the different uh, music conditions. So, so I, I mean, for me, it's fascinating just that music can elicit emotions at all. Yeah, um, uh, and you know, the, the, it's not a huge benefit to, or or seeming seemingly intuitive. Yeah. Like, why is that advancing our genes? Or yeah, or, right. So is you know, just some sort of evolutionary byproduct, presumably. Um, you know, there is some work that that uh, you know, when when, gosh, um, this idea that you know, if, when you're in a forest and everything is calm and everything is safe, this is when birds are going to be singing. Right, mm. uh, and if you look at happy music, it tends to be higher in pitch. It tends to be up, up tempo. Uh, you know, just like birdsong. Mm. And so maybe this helps explain why, uh, you know, some of these acoustical features of music, pitch, tempo, are associated with more positive emotions, uh, whereas you know other other features, uh, you know, minor tones and. Uh, and, and slow tempos are associated with more negative emotions. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know the first thing about music. Uh, all I know is, you know, I, I know that it, 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 it looks, it's very powerful emotions, and it's always fascinating because I have no idea why. Yeah, yeah. So, so does, it, does, it elicit, does it elicit emotions for you? Is what, like, are you into music? Are you oh, music yeah, person? yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very much into, uh, uh, you know, just like anybody else, I can listen to music, uh. And it elicits, you know, I, I experience intense emotion, um, and probably more so than the average person. I am curious as to why. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I have that with like football, but it's because I don't like football or, or sports in general. I'm like, why do yeah. people get so excited about this? Yeah, so, well, you know, Seinfeld's just, answer to that, right? Who we're rooting for. Uh, at the end of the no. day, we're we're rooting for the shirts. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, that's, yeah. that is what it you is. Yeah, one guy's your hero, and next day he gets traded, and he's wearing a different color shirt, and now you hate him. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, very true. And we've had a, a fair amount of people on talking about in and out group behavior and yeah. whatnot. So, so what um, what kind of studies have you done with music? Um, well, so it appears that music can elicit mixed emotions and so really a, a lot of what i've done is just uh, uh use different stimuli as vehicles to uh pursue these questions about whether people can feel happy and sad at the same time mm. uh so i enjoy listening to music it can make me happy it can make me sad with studies where i have used music as a stimulus i haven't been interested in music per se i've just been interested in using it as a vehicle um, in order to to study mixed emotions, so um, so there's some uh, uh, neat work from uh, uh, Glenn Schellenberg up at University of Toronto, uh, showing that when you take music with these conflicting cues, so maybe it's up tempo, but it's in a minor mode, 
uh, then it's going to be more likely to elicit mixed emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, so now they use just standard sort of rating task. You listen to a piece of music for 30 seconds, and then we ask you how happy you are, how sad you are. And if you say you're feeling both, and we say, aha, looks like you're experiencing mixed emotions. Uh, you know, this is how, how, you know, Pete and I started. Um, but, uh, Later on, it becomes clear that this doesn't provide the strongest evidence for whether people can feel happy and sad at the same time because maybe what happened is during the first 10 seconds of the song, you were feeling happy and then you noticed that there was something a little bit off. Maybe it was like a minor tone and you didn't know it. But uh, So then you were later feeling sad, but you weren't feeling happy and sad at the same time, right? Um, and so it's like, uh, so, so uh, uh, Danny Kahneman had this idea that mixed emotions might be like perceiving the Necker cube. Uh, so I can't tell people what a Necker cube is on the radio. I don't know if you can. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't even know. <laughs> I can draw it on the board. But, oh, you don't know what the Necker cube is? No. Oh, okay. So, uh, well, here, I can. <laughs> this, yeah, should yeah. I do this or is yeah, this just yeah. completely pointless? I, I, no, All right. I'm, I'm All right. Curious. So I am drawing a square. <laughs> I am now going back, uh, and I am drawing a square up and to the right of the original square. Kind of like a Venn diagram. Aha. Uh-huh. And then, and then I am connecting them uh, like this. I see. And so, uh, so psychologists call this uh, the Necker cube after a, a guy whose name was Necker. Um, and uh, I thought it was like I thought when you're like, oh, I can't really talk about it. Um, I, I thought it was. I thought it was oh, like some yeah, this disgusting. Is, this thing is just dirty. I thought you were going to draw just... a penis on it. <laughs> no, 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 I, I, I don't do that. <laughs> um, but so anyway, if if you were to Google Necker cube, right. um, you would see this image that we're looking at, okay. uh, and and so you know, of course, you're you can see it in one of two ways. It's called an ambiguous figure, mm. um, but uh, you can see either this as being the front or that as being the front. But importantly, you can't see them both as being, you can't see both of these percepts at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, maybe that's how mixed emotions work, that we're not feeling them at the same time. We're mm. just going back and forth, like we talked about earlier, uh, vacillating between happiness one moment and sadness mm. the next. And so um, if we're just... Asking people, hey, how uh, do you feel happy right now? And then a few seconds later, we say, do you feel happy right now? Um, they might say yes, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're feeling both at the same time. Um, so uh, what we're going to need is measures with better you know, temporal resolution, measures that are going to be more sensitive to how you're feeling right now at this very moment. Uh, so, um, so what we do then, uh, one way to do this is that we... Um, we hand people a mouse, um, and uh, I learned the hard way uh, that when I say hand them a mouse, I need to clarify that it's a computer mouse. Uh, uh, so one time somebody came up after a talk, and they said, what, why do you give people a mouse? <laughs> um, <laughs> and it took, it took me a while to realize that <laughs> in his mind what had happened yeah. was very different than what really happened. How in old study. was this person? I, I don't know. It, it was, you know old maybe, enough? Uh, young you enough know, to maybe, have seen a computer? Maybe he was what we call a rat runner. You know, yeah. Maybe he was somebody who'd spent his career... You know, putting mats, rats in Skinner boxes. I don't know. Right. Um, uh, so we hand them a mouse, and you know, of course, there's the two buttons: the mm-hmm. left button and the right button. And we say, okay, you know, as you're listening to this music, um, or watching this movie, or whatever, 
Um, we want you to just uh, uh, press the left button whenever you're feeling happy and the right button whenever you're feeling sad. And if you're not feeling anything, don't press anything. And then we just casually, without making too point, find a point on it, we say, and if you're feeling both happy and sad at the same time, then press both buttons. And uh, so that's what they do. And so over the course of a 30-second song or, gosh, a 20-minute movie, uh, they'll just go along pressing the buttons as they, as they see fit to tell us, or at least try to tell us how they're feeling. Um, and so when it comes to this bittersweet music, we'll see that people uh, spend more time pressing both buttons at the same time than uh, with m- more simple music, you know, just uh, fast uh, and uh, major mode type music. Hmm. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just more intuitive to me, but it's just that the, the problems with the mixed emotion, uh, I think it just highlights the the limitations of reductionism a little bit and you can't just break everything down so much like of course people can experience a range of i mean it doesn't seem so so like uh, neurologically um it, you you can experience a dull pain and a sharp pain but those those signals that come in actually that they do um they they do like if you have a dull throbbing pain or, mm-hmm. or like an itch or something and then you scratch it there's like a, a sharp pain that kind of neutralizes hmm. that throbbing pain but they're both still happening and they're both coming from kind of different regions yeah but but then they're kind of regulating yeah. each other yeah and and all these different emotional states are often processed in different parts of the brain and mm-hmm. they're there, I imagine there has to be similar sort of things yeah. happening yeah. to that. Well, well this, so this theoretical debate is all about the conscious experience of emotion, okay. right? And and so, uh, so, of course, there's all sorts of things going on in the brain at various levels um, of, of consciousness. Um, and what we're interested in here is that, you know, that, 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 that right. conscious experience. Right, right. Um, and of course, there's all sorts of things that can happen along the way to consciousness. And the, uh, the view that polar opposites are mutual, mutually exclusive contends that along the way to consciousness, somehow these, uh, these potentially competing feelings are somehow mapped on to a single dimension, right? Mm. Um, and, uh, and so that, that's really what the, what the debate is about. And, I mean, you look at most data. Um, you know, if, if I were to, you know, go out on campus and ask most people right now, how are you feeling right now? Very few of them are going to report mixed emotions, Right. Um, because, you know, maybe whatever ambiguity there is in their world, the things that are on their mind that they're dealing with, mostly they're going to get resolved into one type of feeling or another. Um, so really what we're just, the, the debate here is about those extraordinary circumstances and what happens there. Well, I mean, you know, you watch it. People enjoy watching sad movies. Mm-hmm. So how are you like enjoying and like, like a kind of an embarrassing thing that I do. I'll start tearing up a little bit in like appreciation if mm-hmm. I really yeah. enjoy it. Like, like I'll, I'll tear up during like Christopher Nolan. I think I started tearing up during like, uh, uh, Dark Knight or, or something like that just because I liked, um, seeing the way the puzzle 
fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it would be like a tragic or sad yeah. scene, but it was making me very happy at yeah. the same. Yeah, I think. Well, well so so when I um, a fun thing for me to do uh, is you know a room full of undergraduates. I'll say, okay, I want you to put you know put your hands on the desk. And I'm going to ask you a question, and if you think the answer is yes, raise your left hand. If you think the answer is no, raise your right hand, and, and you know, do it as quickly as you need to. And I say, uh, you know, can people feel happy and sad at the same time? Um, and within about a couple of seconds, you know, most of the hands have gone up, and about 90% of them are saying yes, they can, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I'll say, okay, so you know, I've spent the last 15 years of my life trying to answer this question, right. and and not surprisingly, they give me these you know curious looks, like you know, why would you do that if you know we already told you the answer, right? Um, so you know, and intuition is often right about things um but it's not always right right Right. if if we relied on intuition uh uh, science would still be in the in the dark ages right we'd still think that the you know the earth is bigger yeah exactly so um so it it's the 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 value of the idea that you can't feel happy and sad at the same time is, is is it's parsimony um and um and also if you if you look at all the evidence that you know that that, that I and others have collected there there are still these holes um and I think when we're when we're introspecting about our own emotions we probably aren't paying as much attention to you know am I vacillating at the same time we probably aren't paying enough attention to that uh, to to answer the, the the scientific question, I wonder if there's a have have people studied people while meditating? Uh, because often when you're meditating, you're kind of exceptionally mindful of, or, or more mindful than usual of, and it, and it does seem like it's chronological when you meditate. It, it seems like. Um, here, here, I'm experiencing a little anxiety mm. now, and then boredom now. But it's like there, it's coming in so fast, and it's so transient that yeah. it does kind of s- seem like a, a a mix. It seems like it's kind of swirling about. Um, but uh, but I, I, I'm just thinking yeah. about about ways of priming people to more deliberately try to articulate. Mm. Um, yeah, to, well, to be mindful of their emotions, right, right? to pay attention to them. And, and um, so th- there has been quite a bit of research on uh, uh, you know, emotions in general and how mindfulness affects emotional experience. Uh, usually it's with you know, clearly positive or negative stimuli. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it sounds like there's probably some interesting questions about how mindfulness is going to influence emotional reactions to the bittersweet stimuli uh, that, that, that I deal with. Um, and, uh, uh, and of course there are a lot of, uh, some people just pay more attention to their emotions than others. They're better mm-hmm. at labeling them. Uh, the, their emotions are more clear. Uh, you know, sometimes, um, people are just sort of vaguely aware that they're feeling something, but they don't know what it is. Um, usually you'll have a pretty good sense for whether you're feeling good or bad, but then sometimes it can get a little bit uh, fuzzy from there. So uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett has this really neat work on on what she calls emotion granularity, uh, where for some people, um, if they're feeling bad, they're just bad, and that's sort of that's as good as they can put a finger on it. 
Uh, whereas others, um, they will say, well, I'm, I'm feeling you know, frustrated, but I'm not feeling sad right now. I'm feeling kind of blue or down. You know, I'm, not, I'm not angry or tense. Right? So right. some people are just able to distinguish among these states better than other people can. Do you think this kind of changes over a lifespan as well? I mean, I, I don't know if this is just a product of, of um, learning more or whatever, but, but I, I do feel like um, when I was younger, especially like a teenager or whatever, I was, I was at least aware of it, but I felt very confused all mm-hmm. of the time and it, it felt i mean it just felt like there was lots of things lots of emotions lots of thoughts that i couldn't like they were right there but i couldn't really mm-hmm. put my finger on them i couldn't yeah. i couldn't grasp them as yeah. much um because yeah. I, I was just curious i i asked because it, you did some work with um with children right. right uh what was that work well so um yeah, emotions certainly change over the course of the lifespan. So both from uh, children to young adults and then young adults versus, you know, more elderly adults. Uh, and uh, so it, it there has been quite a bit of work looking at whether older children are better able to understand mixed emotions. And so, you know, you just ask them, uh, so have you ever... Uh, uh, felt has there ever been a time when you felt happy and sad at the same time and the older kids are the more likely they'll be able to say yes and then and then give you a, a plausible you know case of it right um and what what uh, we did this was a, a, a master's thesis of a student of mine named uh, yen to uh who um uh, what we did is we brought kids in, or actually, uh, she went to schools and she showed them a clip from uh, Little Mermaid, um, where the little, little mermaid is, uh, she gets to marry her prince, but she has to say goodbye to her dad forever. Uh, and, and what we found is that older kids, I think we went from kindergarten up through sixth grade, uh, the older kids were more likely to report experiencing mixed emotions mm. when we interviewed them about it afterwards. Uh, th- this effect was uh, particularly pronounced for girls. Mm-hmm. Our pilot participants were uh, another co-author's uh, uh, daughters, uh, and um, so uh, so his name was Gary Fireman. His daughters were our pilot participants, and after this, they they said, "Yes, we feel mixed emotions." Um, with uh, it didn't occur to us the boys might have different reactions. Right. So with the sixth grade boys, they were actually less likely to report mixed emotions than the uh, I think third grade boys. Really? So, yeah, and you know, part of it is gonna be, you know, this 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 movie just isn't their thing anymore. Possibly, another part is just that they, you know, this isn't what boys do. They might have yeah. been feeling it, but they didn't want to report it. Right. So, right. Oh. Um, so it does look though like the the older you get, as uh, the more likely you are to take your experiences and label them as uh, as being mixed emotions. You know, younger kids, I think, like uh, kindergartners, one uh, first year, uh, first graders. Um, you ask them, can people feel happy and sad at the same time? And they say, no. There's one one kid who said something like, you can't feel happy and sad at the same time because you can't make your mouth go up and down at the same time. You can't <laughs> smile and frown at the same time. Yeah. Which 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 it's it really remarkable, it, you know, for for a kid. Then maybe our emotions are, are just this external thing, mm. right? But the older we get, the more an emotion becomes part of the life of the mind. 
right? Mm-hmm. And 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 then of course we have to we have to learn the words, you know. So the you know eighteen year old uh, uh, college students at at Ohio State. Um, maybe they were feeling the exact same feelings that the 22-year-old students at the University of Chicago were feeling, but they weren't able to put their finger on it as saying, I feel bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, toddlers, certainly it seems like they have a, a more extreme um, yeah. kind of emotion. Yeah. They, the whole world's collapsing yeah. if yeah. they don't get this cookie and crying mm-hmm. and then... They get the cookie and happy as could be. Yeah, yeah, just like that. Yeah, you know when you when you think about emotional development, it, it, initially there's just two, right? There's there there's there's joy and then there's just distress. Mm-hmm. Did you see Inside Out? Oh, I loved yeah, that yeah. film. I thought yeah. it was genius. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was genius as well. And you know, of course, obviously, we all know that there aren't these you know five little. It was such a great representation, though. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. And and you know, this the 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 idea of you know joy and distress being there at the beginning, you know that that that's right on. You looking at at infants' behavior, right? uh, That's 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 what you see initially. Yeah, Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, big plug for that movie. Uh, Everyone should check it out. Very good. Um, So, speaking of plugs, what is the charity of the week this week? It's Remote Area Medical. All right. Um, Terrific. So, everyone can go to herewearepodcast.com and uh, find out more about Remote Area Medical. Uh, so before we wrap up, we just uh, just because I made what would otherwise seem like the most bizarre reference uh, ever, if, if we don't uh, put a little context to this, um, you do some you've done some work with um, how how people imagine Jesus right. in the mind's eye. Yeah. Um, so what I didn't, I actually didn't have a chance to look at any of this work, but yeah. uh, it grabbed my attention. Yeah. Well, this is ongoing, uh, so we don't have anything out. On it yet, but it's funded by the Templeton Foundation, uh, and um, yeah, so so we're just interested in you know if you close your eyes, right? Uh, he's doing it. Uh, so close your eyes, and you know whenever a social psychologist says close your eyes, don't do it. But uh, but now, <laughs> uh, so uh, and now you know. So imagine how you see Jesus in your mind's eye. So not the historical Jesus, but the one in you know, how you see him in your mind. So, so tell me about this, Jesus. Well, I see, I just draw up, um, like a image of, of, a a painting of, of Jesus where it's, um, kind of, it's a, it's a little brighter, colorful. I, I mean, I bet with like a Google image search, I could pull up exactly this image that I'm picturing. He's definitely, he has, a beard and the mustache and the, the, you know, the whole beard. And then, and then he has, um, long hair and, um, and it's pretty straight. Um, fairly, it's like a little wavy, Mm -hmm. just a little wavy, but it's not like curly and it's not, it's not like perfectly straight. It's just got a little bit of a wave to it. Um, pretty, uh, handsome symmetrical face um a little bit uh, a, a little bit dark i mean he's from the middle east but he's not that doesn't look like that in my mind's eye it just mm-hmm. looks like a little bit um 
like a like a tan Caucasian. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good. So, yeah. um, so you know, for for Christians around the world, this this they've they've got a personal relationship with this person and this personal relationship. I, know I was raised Catholic. Yeah. The, yeah. And the, this personal relationship is, is, is one of the most important relationships, if not the most important relationship in their life. Uh, and so, you know, you think about your other close relationship partners, uh, your, you know, your, your romantic partner, your family members, you know, you, you have a very clear image of them in their, in your mind's eye because, mm-hmm. you know, you get to see them every day. Um, and you want to, I, I assume you want to have that same image in mind of the, uh, of, of this other, uh, person with whom you have this close personal relationship. Uh, and, and so, and if you think about Christianity, it's the, uh, of the, uh, Abrahamic religions, uh, Islam, uh, Judaism, Christianity, you know, it's the only one where there, there is this, uh, you know, this person where, where, where God became flesh, right? right? Uh, you know, of course in, in, uh, contemporary Islam, you know, you can't make, uh, you know, depictions of, of the divine. Um, so, uh, so, so it seems th- this would seem to be an important part of people's, uh, uh, uh faith. Mm. Um, and we know that there's all sorts of measures of, of, of people's concept of God. Um, you know, and you just ask people, okay, so, uh, uh, you know, how kind is he? Uh, how, how forgiving is he? How demanding is he? Right? Um, and so we, we can get these trait ratings from people of, of how they conceptualize God. But, um, you know, that, when, when you think about people, you don't have this checklist of, of, of adjectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have images, and so what we're trying to do in this research is, is to measure uh, how people, you know, th- this actual visual image that they get, that they have, uh, and, um, and see how that relates to, you know, the, the, the traits that they ascribe to God and to Jesus. So hmm. uh, we give people forensic sketch. We have this forensic sketch software. Uh, where people sit down and uh, uh, w- w- in about 10 minutes they can get trained on how to use this uh, software. And we say, okay, have at it. Uh, uh, show us how you, how you see Jesus in your mind's eye. And the variety of the, of the sketches that you get is just amazing. Hmm. We've got about, a, I think, about 180 of them, and they are just all over the place. Um, what I've got here is um, composites. Um, uh, we, we, so it's a real young Jesus. Uh, yeah, it is a real young Jesus. Well, when you think, when you, when you make sketch, when you, um, take composites, right. um, uh, the face is always going to end up appearing softer. Right, right, right. Everyone's got their own rough edges and they, they, yeah. yeah. Um, but so what we have over here is, uh, we took the 10 sketches that other people rated as being the warmest Jesus's. Uh, and we, we made a composite of them, and, and you see this very warm-looking face. Um, on the other side, uh, this is a composite of the ten Jesuses that were rated as the coldest. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, and then uh, along the way, we have these other uh, uh, images. Look how big his eyes are. In the yeah, warm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the, this one, the one uh, of, of the warmest Jesus, 
uh, uh, he's got more baby face features. Yeah. Um, and uh, this one has a you know much more angular face. Very serious. Uh, yes, looking. very serious looking. Um, so, uh, so that's what uh, what this research is about, and it's it's in progress. It's a completely it's completely unlike anything I've ever done. Um, but people people find it pretty interesting. Five and two look the closest to me to what I I would picture in my mind. Uh-huh. But um, you, you know what's interesting, and this is going to be. I'm sorry to right at the end take things off on a maybe wild tangent, but it just occurred to me because I've been thinking a lot about how we have these mental representations of people in our minds. Like I can go home tonight and have a dream. Maybe you're in my dream and you're talking to it. And that's coming from my brain. That's somehow writing a script for you and putting together these various conditions. And, and, um, you, you know, maybe we're in a different setting or whatever. And, and, uh, it, it, you know, maybe, maybe your wife is there too, who I met last night, who, who I've spent even less time with. And, and I could potentially be, and I'm doing like a perfect impression of you guys. It seems like it's happening to me. Mm-hmm. But so, so it's like there is, uh, this mental representation of these people that, Sometimes not important to us at all. Sometimes I feel like strangers on the street you'll pass mm-hmm. by and then have a dream later on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, but especially people that are important to you will pop up in dreams all the time. I've never had Jesus pop up in a dream hmm. before. Not once. Yeah. And it's something that, like, you know, I was raised Catholic. Yeah. And I've never really heard of anyone yeah. dreaming about Jesus. Yeah. But people dream about everyone they ever meet. They yeah. dream about fictional characters and movies right where's jesus in there yeah why don't we have a mental representation that's well, weird, I'm, I'm, huh? sure, I'm sure others have i mean i don't remember my dreams very well so I, I i don't know but i do know so one thing i remember from when i was like six years old uh you know being told that 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 jesus was in my heart mm. And you know, you sort. Of, I, I remember having these pictures of of what this meant. Uh, and, you know, but but you know, I, I was six, and I was trying to like make sense of what does that mean. Mm. Uh, and and so I, I think, you know, since uh, it, it, apparently, so this is apparently something that that, that I've been thinking about off and on mm-hmm. uh, for for a few decades. Hmm. So well, interesting work. I didn't mean to. Have, go off on my own weird tangent but uh but that's that's interesting i look forward to hearing more about it uh next time i i come through and uh so yeah thank you jeff larson right. for for uh joining me we well thanks a I had a good time. yeah it was a good episode okay. thank you listeners for uh being curious and downloading and sharing and all that good stuff you guys are awesome Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you keep in mind that anytime there's like an episode that uh, that you really like, that you think some other people might enjoy, to share that that helps me out more than anything else. And uh, other than that, um, that was a fun one. So I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, also a very very good episode. I'm uh, I'm talking with Aaron Harden, um, and we talked about education, and we talked about. Um, I guess uh, the role of self in well-being. Uh, (laughs) That's not terribly descriptive. Um, But tune in next week. It's a really good episode. I know you're going to enjoy it. 
And then the week after that, Christmas week, we're going to do um, another charity episode. So write me, give me your feedback, let me know how you liked the first two of those. And I have a lot of exciting interviews coming up that I can't wait to share with you guys. So I'll talk to you next week. Kyle Ayers, I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it, and here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior, happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL, the 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly-collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh, my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. <laughs> Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would, he even, why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced ve-a-pe in Spanish, <laughs> oh my he spots his dear friend who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. <laughs> Scarface yells out his signature line. <laughs> Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. 